0: Good afternoon, brethren. It's a privilege to be here with you on this very special day. We're here on a day of fasting and prayer to beseech Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, to hear our requests to heal His people, as well as to grant His servants more of the gifts of His Spirit, which include the gifts of healing. As we've already heard, as we fast today, it probably be good to remember that God's people today are scattered among a number of different groups. And there are a lot of God's people, wherever they are, that are looking to God to be healed and to intervene in their lives. So we don't need to be exclusive in our prayers. that We can be praying for God's people wherever they are. I guess since I'm one of the younger men among the older men... Here in Charlotte, I've been given this special opportunity to speak to you on an empty stomach. Somebody said that giving a sermon on a holy day is hazardous duty without extra pay. I'm being a little bit light here at the beginning, but we're here for really a very serious purpose this afternoon. An exciting purpose, but also a very serious purpose. While you may not have a need for healing personally today, there are many people that do. What I'd like to do in the sermon today is focus on some very important things that we all need to focus on today. And I hope that by the end of the sermon we'll see that a fast day is more than just avoiding food for 24 hours and offering a short prayer. There's really a lot more to the subject that I want to deal with today. And I'd like to use the sermon to discuss several important aspects that are related to fasting for healing. Because, brethren, if we learn what we can today and do what we can today and in the days to come, and we look for God to do what He will do in His time and in His way, Today could be a significant turning point in your life as an individual. It can also be a significant turning point in the history, the modern history of this era of God's church. God, as we've heard, has power that is available to use in his time and in his way. So I hope that we can learn all we can as we go through the sermon today. I'd like you to first turn to James, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Dr. Meredith discussed this series of scriptures a couple of weeks ago whenever we did a sermon dealing with this particular day. But I'd like to go back and read, and if we can read together these verses, because there's an awful lot here. We tend to look at these verses, well, just talking about healing and getting anointed. But let's notice what is actually in these verses. In James chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, and notice the number of things that are here. If anybody is sick among you, let them call for the elders. In other words, to call for the elders of the church, not just anybody, but call for the elders of the church, let them pray over them. So prayer is an important part of that. Anointing with oil in the name of the the lord the lord jesus asking in jesus name as we're going to see is going to be very important and the prayer of faith we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit but a prayer of faith not just a prayer but a prayer of faith will save the sick and the lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins he will be forgiven so there's forgiveness involved Then in verse 16, confess your trespasses one to another. That doesn't mean you have to go up and down the aisles and confess to everybody. But we do need to acknowledge and ask God to help us to see what have we done that may have contributed to the condition that we're in uh, today in various situations. But if we can acknowledge that we may have played a role in some of the problems that we get into and then repent of those things. When you confess, you're repenting, acknowledging certain things. And pray for one another. We heard a number of names mentioned today of people that we can be praying for. That they may be healed. In other words, we're making a specific request of God. And the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. An effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person. The Bible defines that. We'll talk about that, too, a little bit later. And then he gives a couple of examples here of Elijah praying, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and it started to rain. It was a very powerful witness in Elijah's time. But as we can see, these three verses mention a number of important factors that are all related and are all part of this phenomena of healing. So what I'd like to do in the sermon today is talk about several of these vital aspects of healing. In fact, I've entitled the sermon Vital Aspects of Healing. I want to talk about several of these things because they're extremely important. As I said, if we can learn what God wants us to learn today, that this could be a turning point in your life, and it could be a turning point in the history of the church, in this modern era of the church, as we will see. So let's first of all talk just a little bit about this prayer of faith. What is faith? We've got a number of new people here, and probably for a number of those of you that have been around for a long time, it's probably good to review some of the fundamentals. I keep remembering a speech that uh, uh, Vince Lombardi, who was a coach of, I think it was the Green Bay Packers, gave at the beginning of every season. He said, gentlemen, he was holding a football, and he's talking to professional football players. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> what do you mean it's a football? We all know that. But his point was we need to get back to the fundamentals. You've got to guard that ball. You drop it, you lose the game. So what is faith? Why is it important? Why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? And why do we have so little faith sometimes? A number of interesting answers. We heard a sermon last week. I want to talk just a little bit about why is faith important. The sermon last week, the scripture was read 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to 9. You don't need to turn there, but the essence was whenever we walk by faith, our goal and our aim should be to please God. Walking by faith, we want to please God. We want to do things God's way. But why is this important? Let's turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter talking about faith. But in Hebrews eleven 6, let's read the whole verse. It says, without faith. Again, why is faith important? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he or she who comes to God must believe that he is. There are many people today that don't believe God exists. We not only have to believe in God, we have to believe God. What God actually says. Many people believe the Bible is just a mythical bunch of stories. It's not really real. But when we come before God to ask for healing, we've got to believe God is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him diligently, earnestly seek God, asking for God to heal, asking for God to intervene. These are things that are important. These are important aspects of faith. We've got to look to God to honor the promises that he's made. So faith is extremely important. Paul says without it, it's impossible to please God. Without it, we're not going to obey God. We're not going to try to do that. What is biblical faith? How does the Bible define faith? Back up a couple of verses in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1. This is how the Bible defines faith. And this is important because I want to define in just a little bit how human beings define faith. So we've got to get a clear picture. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance here can be the assurance of things that you're hoping for. You put money in the bank and you, you have the assurance, and that gets pretty shaky these days, that what you put in your savings account will stay there. And somebody won't lift, it, the bank won't close, but you, know, you put money in the bank because you have a certain assurance. Now, that may change you know, in the months and years just ahead of us. But this is what it's talking about. Faith is the assurance of things that you're hoping for. We're hoping to be in the kingdom of God. And the Bible says we need to be assured of that. And the evidence or the proof or the confirmation of things that you don't yet see. We don't see the kingdom of God here yet. But we have an assurance it's going to come because God says so in the scriptures. So the Bible defines faith as the the substance, the insurance, the confidence of things that you're hoping for in the evidence or the proof or the conviction of things that you don't yet see. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, you don't need to turn there, but God says prove all things, examine everything. If you're going to believe something, look into it, prove it, check it out. And we've said for years, Mr. Armstrong has said, Mr. Ames has said, Dr. Meredith has said, don't believe me, believe the book. You'll prove it for yourself. Does God exist? Don't just wiggle around. And Some people say, well, I, I believe in God. I just determined I was going to believe. But they don't look into it. They don't check it. They don't prove it. I think one of the reasons many people didn't stay with the church of God when all the changes began to occur, they didn't prove various things. They didn't prove where God's church was. They didn't prove that God was leading his church. They didn't prove that the Bible was true. And somebody comes along and says, we're going to change this. So they change. And we need to understand who is leading the church and who's guiding the church. You know, Paul says, prove all things, examine everything that you're going to believe, then hang on to it and never let go of it. You know, is there a real God? Especially young people, have you proven that to yourselves? Is this book the inspired word of God? Did God preserve it for us? Can you trust it? Does God answer prayer? You know, we've got some booklets dealing with the real God and the proof of the Bible. Dr. Meredith has a booklet on 12 keys to answered prayer. Go through these things and ask yourself, do I believe this? Can I trust these things? If you do these things, brethren, nobody's going to blow you away. You're going to have a foundation you can build your life on. You know, John seventeen seventeen says, Thy word is truth. Have you proven that to yourself? Can you trust the Bible? Will you stake your life on it? When everything begins to change... Martin Luther gave a very interesting definition of faith. He said, faith is a living, unshakable confidence. A living, unshakable confidence. Turn back to Job, chapter 19, verse 25. Job is one of the wisdom books of the Bible. Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. These are books that deal with the big questions of life. Is there a God? Does God have a plan and purpose? Is there a purpose for human life? But Job makes a very interesting statement in Job 19, verse 25. It's an interesting example of a living, unshakable faith, a confidence, a conviction. It says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on earth after my skin is destroyed, after I die. This I know that my flesh or in my flesh, I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. But Job is saying, I know my Redeemer lives. I know God is alive and I'm going to see him. That was in the Old Testament. You read 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through about 3. John is saying, we're going to see him as he is. And for those that have that hope, they purify themselves. There are some things we have to do to change, to draw closer to God. Brethren, these are some of the very confident things the Bible has to say, very powerful things about faith. But if we ask another question, why do we doubt? Why do we have doubts? Why do doubts come over us? Why is there a lack of faith today? We need to just back off and think a little bit. Second Corinthians four four. What does it say? That Satan is the god of this world. We're living in Satan's world. We're living in an anti-God society. This nation is changing. We're turning away from God in many, many ways. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, we're told not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, his schemes, the games that he plays. In other words, beware. Don't get caught up in his deceptions. One of Satan's devices is to plant doubts, to plant doubts in our minds, How do you know God exists? How do you know he answered prayers? How do you know the Bible's real? How do you know these things? Here we have the example in Genesis 3. Again, you don't need to turn to these, but just think about them with me. Where Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve were told, look, there's one tree in the garden you're not to eat of, and if you eat of it, you'll die. They were told that. Then Satan comes along, sees Eve. Hi, beautiful. Good looking. You know, God didn't tell you the whole truth. See that tree over there? Looks good, doesn't it? Tastes good, too. High in vitamin C. Good for you. You know, if if you eat it, you're not going to die. You're going to be wise. You're going to be like God. And they bought they bought into the lie, the sugar-coated lie. <laughs> and they paid dearly for the, you know, the consequences that came after that. But when it comes to faith, Satan sows doubts. Let me read you a couple of human definitions of faith. You can look these things up in books on quotations. But I did this the other night. And it was just, it's amazing what human beings have to say about faith. It says, faith is belief without evidence in words spoken without knowledge. What? Faith is belief without, you don't need evidence. You just, blind faith, just believe. Faith is an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. In other words, it's not going to happen. Another one, proofs are the last things you need to look for if you have faith. That's not what the book said. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence, the proof of things that you don't see. And Paul said, prove all things and then hold fast to that. He didn't just say, make up your mind and believe and forget anything. Mark Twain, famous American philosopher, a humorist, he said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Faith is believing what you know ain't so. I know God's not real, but I'm going to believe anyways. It's ridiculous. A couple of other interesting ones. Faith is wishing God may exist. No. The Bible says, prove me. God says, prove me. Check up on me. Some people have said faith, or some people say faith can move mountains, but what you really need is dynamite and steam shovels. That's how you move mountains. Another comment was, if you have technical skill, if you have the technical skill to move mountains, you don't need faith. You you listen to these things, and what they're doing, they're making fun of faith. They're undermining faith. Why don't people have faith today? Because we live in an anti-God society. They talk about we live in a society with an anti-supernaturalistic bias, where we, we don't believe God exists. We don't believe he has laws that you have to actually follow. People are saying today in educational circles, there are no absolutes. There's nothing that's absolutely right or absolutely wrong. You can make up your own mind. It's no wonder people don't have faith today. The messages in Satan's society ridicule the idea of faith. And if you profess to have faith, you'll be laughed at, you'll be ridiculed, people make fun of you number of reasons why people don't have faith is because of the attitudes in society. But another fundamental reason, I think, is that many people today don't understand. They don't know what God has put in the Bible about faith. And many people believe in Jesus. Many people believe in God. But they don't understand the content of the scriptures. I was going through this in a lecture not too long ago. You know, surveys have been done that many people cannot name the Ten Commandments. Many professing Christians can't name the four Gospels. A survey that was done in high schools recently, half of high school seniors thought Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife. And they thought Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) This is the sad status of biblical understanding in a Christian nation. And a nation that used to claim to be one nation under God. We're not one nation anymore. And we're doing away with what we've told the world that we were one nation under God. What can we do to build faith? Let's look at another question. What can we do to grow in faith? And how can we build an atmosphere of faith in the church? Mr. Meredith has talked for a number of years, talking about we need to build an atmosphere of faith in the church. How do we do that? What kind of instructions do we find in the scriptures? You know, these, are very, these are not theoretical questions. You know, these are very real questions. You know, the disciples and the apostles ask Jesus Christ uh, increase our faith. Help us grow in faith. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Give us more confidence. Help us grow in that. So they were concerned about that. You know, the father that brought his son to uh, the disciples in in Mark chapter 9, to be healed, the disciples couldn't heal him. And then Jesus intervenes and heals. And and Jesus makes this statement there in Mark 9, 23 and 24. He says, you know, all things are possible to to someone that believes and this poor guy says, look, I believe, but help my unbelief. Give me some more confidence. Help me. So this whole concept of, of how do we grow, uh, these are questions that people have asked down over the years. It's not uncommon today for us, well, I wonder if God will heal me, and I wonder if he'll do this, and I wonder if he'll do that. We need to understand what God's will is. Let's look at a couple of things we can do. To grow in faith. You know, in James, <clears throat> talks about uh, prayer of faith. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 6, he talks about asking in faith. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask in faith. Ask. You know, when I first came into the church, I started reading through the Bible, and I read where Solomon asked for wisdom. And I just read some of the Proverbs where it says wisdom is the principal thing. So I would pray in the evenings that God would make me wise. I wake up in the morning and I didn't feel any wiser. (laughs) But I was asking. And then I read Proverbs chapter 2 where it talks about asking and seeking uh, and knocking. Proverbs talks about if you want to be wise, listen to your parents. Listen to your mother. Listen to your father. If you be wise, walk with wise people. In other words, there was a whole series of things to do besides just ask. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, where Jesus was talking with his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he says, ask and it'll be given. Knock, it'll be opened unto you. And seek and you'll find. If we want to have more faith, we need to ask. And then we need to seek, and then we need to knock. We need to study the scriptures that talk about faith. We need to follow the instructions in the Bible that God gives us about faith. And then spend some time with our noses in the scriptures. So if we ask, and we need to ask God to give us more faith and then do our part, another thing we need to do, turn to Romans chapter 10, to grow in faith and build an atmosphere of faith. And I think looking over you know, what we've been doing in the church for the last several years, we're doing these things, but I just wanted to look at the instructions that are actually there so we understand what we're doing and why we're doing various things. In Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, it says, How then shall they call upon him, call upon God, in whom they have not heard, or in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe... In him and whom they've not heard. People need to hear hear the truth. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Bible prophecy. They need to hear about the promises of God. How can they believe unless they've heard? How can they hear without a preacher? That's why we stand up here and, and do these things. That's why we write articles. That's why we're on television. How shall they preach unless they're sent? Now, there are a lot of people today that think they're sent they got some very different messages, and they're confusing people. How shall they preach unless they're sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. But down here in verse, uh, where did I want to go here? Yeah, in verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing the scriptures explained and expounded will help us grow in faith as we study the examples of faith, Hebrews 11. They should be inspiring as we follow the instructions of Jesus Christ to ask for faith. We should begin to grow in faith, but as we spend time studying the scriptures, expounding the scriptures, talking about the examples as we're going to do in the sermon, it should be inspiring to us and it should build an atmosphere of faith, especially as we're all focused in those directions. A couple of other things I'm just going to skip over rather quickly, but there are a number of instructions in the Bible about growing in faith. Matthew 6 verses 25 to 30, where Jesus talks about, don't worry, don't spend a lot of time worrying about what you're going to eat and where your food's going to come from and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. He so said, God knows your needs. That doesn't mean we can sit back, put our feet up and say, God, please give me a couple of things. I need it. Now, if we need a job, we're going to have to get out there and knock on doors, maybe get an education, qualify for various things, but then ask God to guide us and to open the doors. But we're probably going to have to do the knocking. And sometimes we have needs and we just sit at home and, well, I've prayed about it. But, you know, there's, there's more to it. We've got to do some things. But we need to uh, <clears throat> not spend a lot of time worrying. We need to do what we need to do, but trust God. He knows our needs. He knows our needs. Many cases before we ask. In uh, Mark 9, verses 23 to 29, again, this example of the disciples failing to heal a young man. And Jesus said, this only comes by prayer and fasting. That's interesting when you read the verse, it sounds like this kind of demon may only go with prayer and fasting, which could be one of the explanations. But you know, when you go to some of the commentaries, they say it appears that the disciples may have begun thinking this power to heal was coming from themselves, not realizing they need to be close to God. That that's where the power comes from. You know, Zechariah um, 4, verse 6, where Zechariah basically states, it is not by might and power, but by my spirit. It's the power of God's spirit. We've got to be close to God for these things to begin to happen. In Luke chapter 18, where... Jesus talks about in verse eight, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? But right before that, he gives an example of a a widow, a persistent widow kept coming to this unjust judge. And he finally said, I'm going to let her do what she wants. I want to get her away from me. But she was persistent. It was something I prayed for in my life for about 10 years before an answer came every morning, every noontime, every evening. You know, we, we've got to be persistent. We send up one prayer, nothing happens, so we, I guess God wasn't listening. No, if we're persistently coming before God with an earnest request, the implication is God is going to hear. The scriptures Dr. Meredith mentioned in his uh, letter that he wrote, Hosea 7.14 and Joel 2, verses 12 and 13, to, to put our hearts in our prayers Make a list of people that you're praying for. Get down on your knees and pour your heart out to God. God, remember these people. You know, glorify yourself. Strengthen your church as we pour our hearts out to God on these things. Another thing just to think about, Abraham is called the father of the faithful in Romans chapter 4. The father of the faithful Why was he called the father of the faithful? In Galatians three, six it says He believed God. He believed in God and he believed what God says. So he believed God. But if you go back to Genesis chapter twenty six, verse five, it says He obeyed God, obeyed His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments. Abraham believed and he obeyed. I think most of us in the room believe God. We believe he exists. We believe uh, his laws. But are we obeying them? This would be a good time maybe just to look at your lives. I've got to look at mine. You can look at yours. Are there things that don't belong there? And we know don't belong there that we need to get rid of so that God can bless us and strengthen us and use us. These are important aspects of healing. To believe God and then obey God. And this world is not easy sometimes because temptations come from all over the place. And we've got to be careful we don't get blindsided one other aspect of building faith is to believe and understand and to claim God's promises. Now, we'll look at a couple quickly. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. If we know what's in the Bible, we can pray confidently to the God that inspired and preserved the scriptures. And just talk with them. Say, God, please remember the instructions you've given us that we're reading here together. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just start in verse 6 to pick up the flow. Moses is talking to the children of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, second generation. He's renewing the covenant with them. He says, You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Brethren, you and I are here because God has chosen us. He's chosen to work in our lives, to open our minds. He's not doing that for the world right now. God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number, because you were better than anybody else. You were the least of all peoples because the Lord loves you, because you would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. Verse 9, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. The Pharaoh of Egypt came to see that. Nebuchadnezzar came to realize that. Cyrus of Persia came to realize those things. And some of our leaders today are going to come to realize some very sobering things. He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for thousands of generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God made a covenant with his people. If you obey me, you're going to be blessed and God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's going to keep that covenant down here in uh, verse 14. You shall be blessed above all peoples. That is, if you obey God, And there shall not be a male or female barren among you. And the Lord will take away from you sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate him. This is something God was telling the Israelites. Look, you're a special people. If you obey me, I'm going to take sickness away from among you. This is what God said very plainly. If you go to Exodus Chapter um, <clears throat> 15, he told the parents of these young people or younger people the same thing. This was part of the covenant that God made with his people. Exodus 15, verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I brought upon the Egyptians. This is what God was telling his people. I want to use you as an example. I want to set you apart from the rest of the peoples in this world. Exodus 23, says pretty much the same thing. These are part of the covenant. These statements are part of the covenant that God made with Israel jump up to the time of David in Psalms, Psalm 103, <clears throat> Psalm 103, the first couple of verses. Here, David is talking here, writing here. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. In other words, I'm, I want to bless God from, from the, the bottom of my heart, so to speak. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. This is what God said. This is what he's inspired in the scriptures. We can go to the New Testament, look at the instructions that God gave to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 9, where he sent out 12 disciples, is said he gave them power to heal. He gave that power to the apostles in the early church. And then he also told them to go preach. And it appears it was the miracles that attracted attention. And then the apostles preached them the gospel. You want to know where this power came from? It came from Jesus Christ, the one who you crucified. And then he sent out 70 in Luke chapter 10 had them do the same thing, go preach and teach and heal. And it was these miracles that was a powerful tool in the spreading of the gospel and the growth of the early church. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, Stephen did miracles. Let's go to that for just a minute. This is what was happening in the early church, a church that was filled with faith, And I realize it's easier to have faith whenever we're seeing miracles right one after another. It's easier then. It's not as easy today whenever God is not intervening quite the same way yet. But in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, it's good to read these things. Just let these verses sink into our mind. It says, Stephen, full of faith and power, and he was only a deacon at the time, did great wonders and signs among the people. They're doing very powerful things. If that begins to happen today, we're not going to need to buy television time. They will come to us. How'd you do that? What's your diet like? What are you eating? What kind of special vitamins do you take? No, they're going to be asking questions. Where did, where did this come from? Who are you guys anyways? God has ways of doing things. It's going to be interesting to see how all of these things are going to work out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And these are things that we can ask for. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 In verse four it starts talking about there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Uh, in verse eight it says, "For to one is given the word of wisdom, through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge, through the same spirit, to another faith, by the same spirit, to other to another, the gifts of healings, by the same spirit, and to another the working of miracles." So the Bible makes it plain, these are gifts of God's Holy Spirit that enables us to heal and be healed. And this was a very powerful aspect of the ministry of the apostles in the early church. And the church grew as a result of these miracles. You know, if you go to some of the early church histories, Edward Gibbon makes some comments in chapter 15 of his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He said spiritual gifts such as healing and casting out demons played a primary role in the church of the apostles. I mean, he acknowledges that. Other sources acknowledge that. But he makes a very interesting statement a little bit later. He said it is evident, evident from history, that there must have been some period in which these gifts of healing and miracles were suddenly or gradually withdrawn from the church of God. He says something apparently happened in those early centuries where they weren't healing like they used to or did earlier on. And he speculates, maybe it was after the death of the apostles, maybe it was during the conversion or apostasy (laughs) during the Roman Empire. He's just speculating when. When? You know, God makes an interesting statement, or actually Luke did in Acts 5.32. He says, God gives his spirit to those who obey him. And the early church began to jump the tracks, Latter part of the first century through the second century, and by the third century, or fourth century actually, the church that apostatized, they got away from the Sabbath, away from the holy days, were not obeying God. It would not be surprising that God withdrew this dramatic power of healing because people that claimed to be Christians weren't doing what God said to do. If we can get back to doing what God says to do, we repent of what we need to repent of and literally begin to trust God and put our faith in God. The word faith means to trust It means to believe. It means to have confidence. That's what the word means. And if we can spend some time on the scriptures, letting those scriptures soak in, we should be able to grow in faith and grow in confidence and conviction. So faith is an extremely important aspect. We live in a world that tries to do everything it can to undermine faith. But if we keep our nose in the book, we should build an atmosphere of faith among ourselves and let God guide us. Let's look at another aspect of healing, and that is prayer. You know, James talked about in James chapter 1 about asking in faith. And in James 5.14, he says, "The, the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And these are things we need to think about and pray fervently and try and clean up our lives as much as we can so that God will hear that we can be righteous. You know, Jesus makes a couple of statements. Let's look at John very quickly. John 11, verse 22. John 11, verse 22. Jesus is talking with his disciples here, and he says, but even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So what Jesus is saying is, whatever you ask of God, he's going to give you. And if you turn over to John 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But then notice in verse 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, you're going to be asking things of me, and then do what I've asked you to do, to keep my commandments. Another scripture that's very powerful in First Peter chapter three, First Peter chapter three, verse twelve it says, "For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous." Why do we need to be righteous? So God can keep his eye on us. God can keep us in his focus. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those that obey God. And his ears are open to their prayers. His ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. This is why it's important to obey God. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, who turn away from God. It's going to be sobering to see what happens in our country as our country continues to turn away from God. What I'd like to do next then is look at a couple of examples, several examples, of some prayers of righteous individuals that we can read and we can see what the results were. And it's not just righteous men, it's righteous women too, and righteous young people. Let's turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 1. You might want to go home and read the story for yourself about Hannah, who was one of the wives of a man by the name of Elkanah. She was barren. She didn't have any children. The other wife did. And the wife that had the children gave Hannah a rough time. What's the matter with you? Year after year, Year after year, verse 6, it says, her rival provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So that it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and didn't eat. She was fasting when she went up to Jerusalem. Verse 10, she was in bitterness and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Here's this woman who was persecuted for nothing that she did. Wrong. The other wife was persecuting her, but she prayed earnestly and she made a vow. It's interesting. She didn't say, just give me a, give me a child. She said, you give me a child, I'll give him back to you, God. You give me the child, I'll give him back to you. It wasn't about her, it was really about God. Okay, while she was praying, verse thirteen, her only her lips moved, and Eli, the high priest, thought she was drunk. You could picture maybe walking up to her and kind of tapping her on the shoulder and said, You need to get outside. You've been drinking. Who, me? No, I wasn't drinking. I was praying. Verse 15, no, Lord, I'm, I'm a woman of sorrow, a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk nothing. And then Eli responds. Eli said, go in peace and God grant the God of Israel, grant your petition. So she conceived, had a child. His name was Samuel. She gave him back to God. And God used Samuel in a very powerful way. But he was an answer to prayer. A prayer and fasting of a righteous woman who was trying to please God. And God heard that prayer. Let's look at the other end of the scale if we go to 1 Kings chapter 8. What Solomon prayed for when he was dedicating the temple. I just found these stories very inspiring to go through at this period of time when we're praying and fasting. This was the prayer that Solomon offered before the people of Israel when he was dedicating the temple, beginning in verse 22 of First Kings 8. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread his hands out towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on the earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You keep your covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised to your servant David. We'll skip down through here. Verse 28, he says, Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, that your name may be there. Down in verse 33. So he's entreating God on behalf of the people of Israel when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to your fathers. He says, when they find themselves in in bad straits, and they turn back to you. Please forgive and please heal. And we need to look at our own lives or the things we need to change, things we need to repent of. And we can ask God the same thing. God, we're turning back to you. We're looking to you. We're living in a Laodicean era where we take it easy doing this and take it easy doing that. We want to repent of that. We want to change that. We want to seek you with all our heart. Down in verse 37, when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whenever plague or whatever sickness is there, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his heart and spreads out his hands towards the temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all men. And Solomon was beseeching God on behalf of the people of Israel. Another very interesting scripture in Second Chronicles. We're kind of doing this chronologically just so that we pick up a theme that literally runs through the Bible. Second Chronicles sixteen verse nine. Second Chronicles sixteen verse nine. <clears throat> We're breaking into the middle of the story here. But notice in verse nine what he was reminded of by the prophet. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him, who want to please God. God is looking for prayers to answer for places to intervene, to show his power. Again, as the scripture we mentioned earlier in this section, 1 Peter 3.12, where it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Brother, if we clean up our act, if we get our act together, if we're drawing closer to God, what we're told in the scriptures, his eyes are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. That's where we want to be. I'd encourage you to spend a little bit of time with Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 10. You know, in Daniel chapter 1, these men were young. Daniel and his friends were young. They were told to eat certain things, were given certain foods to eat, and they realized we shouldn't be eating those things. And they determined to obey God. And God blessed them for taking a stand to obey him even as young men and he'll do that for young men and one, young women who'll take a stand for what is right in Daniel chapter 2 Nebuchadnezzar has this vision and then he forgot it and he called his wise men tell me what the vision was and they said well tell us the vision and we'll tell you what it means he said don't give me that stuff <laughs> tell me what the vision was well, we, we can't only God can do that kill them Get rid of these guys. But Daniel was part of the wise men. You read Daniel 2.18. It says they entreated God for his mercies. They prayed for their life. God, we don't want to die yet. Please intervene. Help us understand what the vision was. And God answered their prayer. But they prayed their heart out. They were praying for their lives as young men in a foreign country. And God heard their prayers. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Because Daniel not only prayed for his life, and we have people praying in the Bible for healing, but Daniel prayed for understanding. He prayed for understanding. Verse 2, it says, by the first year of the reign of Darius, uh, I understood by books, and you can add the books of Jeremiah there, uh, that the captivity would last about 70 years. But notice in verse 3, he wanted to understand more. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He humbled himself. said, God, I'm nothing. But I'd really like to understand some things in your plan and in your purpose. And you read down through here, verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord God and made a confession. Said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy, we read about that earlier, with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned. He didn't say they sinned. I alone love you. He said, God, we have sinned as your people. We. And committed iniquity. We've done wickedly and rebelled, even departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. And he reminds God, verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, even though we've rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his service the prophets. Yes, all Israel is transgressed. Let's go down here to verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem. He's praying for his people, not just for himself. Let your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for our iniquities. Your people are a reproach. Now, therefore, God, hear the prayer of your servant. He was praying. He was fasting. And the supplications for the Lord's sake cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary in Jerusalem, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolations and the city which is called by your name. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Don't delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and for your people are called by your name. He was entreating God from his heart for the people of Israel. And you can go to... uh, Daniel chapter 10, same same story almost. He also wanted to know more about the future. In verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. He was persistent. It wasn't a little evening prayer. Three weeks. For he was entreating God to understand what was coming. And then God revealed a series of prophecies here, longest prophecy in the Bible. But these are examples of people who fasted, who prayed, who looked to God with all their heart, and God answered those prayers. He answered the prayer of Hannah, an individual had a very personal request. He answered the prayers of Daniel and his friends. Let's go to the New Testament quickly in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John go up to the temple, and they see this beggar, uh, an invalid, sitting at the gate of the temple. He was lame. I remember walking into a cathedral in, in uh, Mexico one year prior to the feast. And as we walked in the front door, there was a man he was lame, and he was sitting down there by the door. It was a prime place to beg, because everybody had to walk over him almost. And he had a little cup, and he was shaking it, and he wanted people to put money in. I would have loved to have said, money, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give you. And to have him go running into the, te- the cathedral down there, it, it created a little bit of a stir. But that's what happened. Peter laid hands on him, healed this man, and he goes into the temple praising God. The authorities weren't real happy with that. So they arrested Peter and John and questioned them and threatened them and then let them go. But notice what happened after that. Begin reading in verse 23. When they let go, they reported to the other believers there in Jerusalem it says when they heard that, when they heard the report, they raised their voice to God. They were praying, praising God with one accord. says, Lord, you are God who made heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and says various things here. Now in verse 29, this is part of this congregational prayer and praising of God. Now, Lord... Look on their threats. Peter and John were just arrested and they were threatened. Consider their threats that with all boldness they may speak your word. Grant boldness to your ministers and by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus God grant us the power to do miracles and to heal in dramatic ways is what they were saying. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. The whole building began to shake. I imagine they said, wow, there's somebody up there. <laughs> you know, why did the early church grow? Why did the gospel spread like it did? Why did thousands of people want to be baptized after one of Peter's sermons? Because they saw these things. They saw these things happening. When they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Down here in verse 12 of chapter 5. It says, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all of one accord in Solomon's porch. this is what happened in the early church. This is why things grew. Miracles were were a powerful tool in the early church. Again, I think we need to keep this in perspective, because sometimes people are not healed. And I think sometimes there's a tendency then that we want to judge people. Well, they lacked faith. They, they didn't really understand. They weren't trusting God. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, it mentions there, Paul said, I besought God on three separate occasions, but God didn't heal him. And yet here was a man that laid his hands on people, and they were healed, that anointed claws, and they were sent out, and people were healed. Did Paul lack faith? You can't conclude that. You know, God's answer to Paul was, hang in there, Paul, <laughs> you'll make it. But he didn't heal Paul. What we need to realize, God has a plan and a purpose. He has a plan and a purpose for all of us. You know, we've had people be healed after they go to the doctor. And it appears that God is using them as a witness in some cases to the medical profession. They take some x-rays. They see a tumor. A couple weeks later, they take another x-ray and it's gone. Where would it go? Did it just fall out? (laughs) Was there a mistake on the x-ray film? No, God will use these things as a powerful witness where he chooses to do that. In the case of Paul, apparently God allowed him to deal with the situation that kept him humble. Sometimes, Dr. Meredith has mentioned this about various people were healed, and they leave the church. You'd think of all people, they would be solid. But unfortunately, we have short memories We just need to keep these things in perspective. God will heal in his time and in his way. He did so in very dramatic fashion in the early church. And it appears that the miracles may have faded over a period of time. It could have been because people were getting away from God. Miracles were a very powerful tool. You know, you can go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 where it says, The apostles turned the world upside down. With their preaching and with their miracles. They'd come into town and things would change. Their message couldn't be denied. And as the religious leaders uh, mentioned to uh, Peter and John, he said, a great miracle has been done and we can't deny it. This was powerful stuff. Now that was in the early church, but turn to Daniel chapter 11. We're just about done. <clears throat> I'm just about done, too. <laughs> But in Daniel chapter 11, <clears throat> some verses here talking about the end of the age. <clears throat> We're going to have a wicked leader, um, a beast rising up in Europe. It mentions here in verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God are going to stand firm and be strong and carry out great exploits for God, as one translation says. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. There's coming a time towards the end of the age when God is going to make very plain and clear where his church is, who His servants are and who He is, that He alone is able to heal and do miracles. And brethren, that time is coming and the day is probably just ahead of us. It's interesting when you go to one of the commentaries, the Expositors Comment, Bible Commentary, and this was written 25 years ago, but it's talking about these particular verses about the people of God doing great exploits. And... Uh, <clears throat> instructing many. It says, God's servants will preach stirring messages of repentance and obedience to God and the importance of obeying the lies of God, the importance of trusting God and not believing the promises of some dictator that comes along. But the commentary makes this statement, these servants of God will engage in a ministry of education and evangelism a ministry of education and evangelism, urging people to turn back to God, to live their lives in accordance with the scriptures. That sounds vaguely familiar. of what we've been doing for the last 25 or 35 or 45 years. Again, a commentary is not inspired scripture. <laughs> but what is being said there certainly fits what we're doing today. Brethren, today is a day of fasting and prayer. We're asking God to heal his people wherever they are and to grant his servants the gifts of his Holy Spirit, more of the gifts of his Spirit, which includes the power to heal. What I tried to do today in the sermon is to focus our attention that there's more to healing than just giving up food and fasting for 24 hours. And maybe offering a little prayer. As we read in James chapter 5 verses 14 through 16, healing involves faith. It involves earnest prayer. It involves obedience to God. It involves repentance. It involves fasting. I think we could add it involves the courage and the wisdom to use the power of healing wisely in accordance with the will of God. I hope, brethren, that we can all go home this afternoon and review the notes that you've taken, study the scriptures that we've read, go read the scriptures again and let those things sink in and earnestly ask God to hear our prayers on the behalf of his people, again, wherever they are, and to pour out his Spirit on his servants and to heal his people. Because, brethren, we need to remember that God has worked miracles down through history. Down through history. And he's done these things in very powerful ways that provided a very powerful witness to kings and individuals and the nations that he alone is able to heal and do things that people think is impossible. God made promises to his covenant people. If you obey me, I'll take sickness away from you. If you'll return to me, you'll be blessed. You know, we read in the scriptures where God gave the disciples powers to heal and do miracles. And those things were powerful witnesses to the early church. And the scriptures indicate God is going to do some very powerful things before this world comes to a conclusion. So I would ask as we go home, let's do our part. Let's do our part. So this day can be a turning point in your life. And this day can be a turning point for the modern era of God's church today. That we can turn to him, look to him, pray to him out of the the depths of our heart. That we can trust God and cry out to him to heal his people and to grant his servants more of the gifts of his spirit so that we can do his work more effectively. Brethren, this is why we're fasting today. This is why we're here today, to entreat God. We're doing this all around the world today. And I suspect there are people that are not part of the living church of God that are also fasting today, that God would intervene, hear these prayers, and hear his people. Brethren, that's why we're here to entreat Almighty God to heed, uh, to heal his people and to, to hear our prayers because God alone is God. And God alone is going to be able to do these powerful things. Let's ask God to do that and let's do our part.
1: Our Father in heaven, eternal God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Israel, we thank you very much, Father, for this service. Thank you for this day of fasting. Thank you for blessing the sermonette. Thank you for blessing the excellent sermon, Father, that Dr. Moneo gave. And we thank you for your understanding, the wisdom that you've given all of us. We pray, Father, that you give us more understanding of this subject. Give us more insight, Father, in heaven to why we are not being healed as much as we wish Show us anything, Father, that's between us and you. You have blessed your work. You're using us, but you're delaying this one area, and many of our own people are sick. We ask you for help. We ask you for mercy, and you show us throughout your word that when people cry out to you with all their heart you hear. So we as the Headquarters Church are doing that. We're sure people around the world are doing that. Maybe not every church is fervent at this time. We hope they will be. But help us to be, Father. Be here with us. Help us to go home, to pray more, to study more, to draw close to you, to try to grow in faith and to put our hearts in our prayers and to walk and live by faith and look to you to do what you have promised that you will do. Please heal your people supernaturally. Please begin to put within your church the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of healing. Pour out your spirit and use us and be with us. Help us to honor you and help us to have an impact on this world, Father, please grant us these gifts. Altogether, your headquarters church now, as we bow our heads, we look to you. You are God. There is no other. Intervene, Father, and guide us and be with us and use us, we pray, and pour out your Spirit upon us and upon your people. Thank you very much, and we worship you and ask this in faith. In Jesus' holy name, amen.